0: Uh, And again, a reminder, next Friday, I'm scheduled to not be here. It is not COVID-related. I am having elbow surgery. Yes, many people have cited Malcolm's line from last week, that there are very few parts of my body that have not had some type of surgery. Uh, But it will be elbow surgery. And please, God, after a day or two of rest, I'll be back Monday morning here at JM in the AM. And we are looking for qualified personnel to um, To substitute for me Thursday and Friday, but all we have on our staff is qualified personnel, so that should be pretty easy. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mister Holmline, welcome back
1: to JM in the AM. Thank you. Always good to be with you and Shalom, because we won't speak to you next Friday. You yeah. Know? uh, your pitching arm will be back in full force uh, Uh, right away.
0: I appreciate it. I'm assuming there'll be a balloon bouquet awaiting me from the home lines after surgery. That's (laughs) what what I assume. (laughs) Well, good.
1: It's a virtual balloon, like everything else
0: these days. That's right. Very easy, by the way, to send that. There'll be a little balloon sticker coming from the home lines on their WhatsApp. (laughs) Yeah, that's how it's going to work. This report in the Jerusalem Post, I don't know if it's report analysis or what. I mean, I'm sure you could take us back to the times of the Obama administration and, of course, the famous U.N. Security Council resolution that the United States abstained from instead of vetoing. Uh, which was the first time in history that that had happened, but apparently there was another resolution being proposed at that time, which actually would have called for or put into the hands of the UN or the uh, the Security Council. You'll explain that uh, the possibility of voting on a Palestinian state and having it authorized by the United Nations. And according to this report or analysis or or the news that's come out over the last uh, couple of months, Russia actually was prepared to veto that type of resolution. What can you tell us about what happened at the U.N. three and a half years ago?
1: Okay, so this is based on a israeli report that um, um, Prime Minister Netanyahu appealed to Putin to stop an anti-Israel resolution at, at first about 2234, which did pass in the Security Council in the United States, as you remember, abstained. Right at that time they denied that they were behind it i remember ron dermer uh, said that in fact it was the administration the obama administration was actively involved in pushing it which i do believe and um, the, uh, and of course it passed and the resolution was the first time the us didn't veto didn't try to block i spoke to ambassador powers repeatedly at the time she denied it and many other things, which uh, I won't go into all now. But, you know, a year before, the president told me in in a meeting at the White House, after a meeting in the White House, actually, uh, he said, I know there won't be a Palestinian state in my term, but I will create the predicates before I leave office. Wow. And I shared that information uh, and, you know, anticipated this and in September When uh, the UN session convened, but we got the reports that they were working. When you know all the heads of state come for the opening of the General Assembly, that they were working it. So it's a very credible story to me. And the um, U.S. ambassador to Israel at the time, Dan Shapiro, denied uh, what Dermer said and said it was not a U.S. initiative. It's true the Europeans and others wanted it as well, but clearly the the key was the, uh, the the United States's role. And then they had a second resolution, which, as you said, would have gone further and would have delineated, you know, a Palestinian state along the 67 lines with some swaps, territorial swaps. Uh, But essentially that would have then gone to the General Assembly to enshrine it. And you would have had, precluded then the real essence of any negotiations and of what we call defensible borders uh, and secure borders. Uh, So... Putin, it seems, intervened and let them know that they Russia would veto it. It was something that the U.S. didn't want, and because it was before an election, uh, and they didn't want to harm uh, Hillary Clinton's chances. Supposedly, that they um, they they dropped it.
0: What? A couple of things. One more immediate in, in terms of that era, and one just a historical question. What does it tell us about the Putin-Obama relationship? That was always an anomaly, I think, to the average observer. Uh, you know, what what they really thought of each other, how much they were willing to cooperate with each other. What does this tell us about it?
1: Well, I don't know that this in particular tells us. I mean, I think the relationship was, uh, as you said, it was anomalous, but it was much more than that. You know, the, Russia pursues its interests. Right. and They do what's best for Russia. And they do, yes, and what's best for Putin. Right. Um, so their votes in the U.N. are pragmatic. It's who they're looking to get support from. And look look what they're doing in Libya today. Look what they're doing in Syria. Look what they're doing elsewhere. They, they are trying to extend their territorial reach. They're trying to protect certain interests. Uh, the fact is that he invests very little. He does it very shrewdly and gets max, tries to get maximum gain. He plays with the Turks and the Iranians. He's with them on one day and against them in another. He's on opposite sides in Libya with Turkey, but in he may deal with them in in Syria, which now is being violated. So he's pragmatic, I think, and and drives driven by um, what he perceives to be their interests.
0: Interesting. And the historical question, or more deeper into history, it, it, what, now that we've seen and now that you've confirmed that the president of the United States, you know, pursued this avenue and almost succeeded, and, and frankly we don't know if he would have succeeded or not, because it would have depended, it seems, on Putin's action and reaction. Um, now we do see just how really any president, Carter, who was very interested in peace and in a Palestinian state, Clinton, who felt his legacy would be linked to it, and others could have pulled a similar move. And you know and, and and you know, aside from divine intervention, which I know we believe is is, a, is an important factor, you know it, you always talk about the importance of of being on the front lines and you know being ahead of the issues and making sure that things don't turn in a certain direction. When you think about it, any of those prior administrations could have done the same thing?
1: Absolutely. And they, there were other attempts, some which were thwarted, some of which were not. And, of course, the role of this Israel and its diplomats and the prime minister are, are all important. Remember, there was a lot of tension between Obama and, and Netanyahu after his yeah. uh, speech on, in Iran, in the Congress, on Iran in the Congress. Yeah. You know, you have to factor in all the things and see the total picture, which is books, not not the comments, uh, to to understand uh, fully. But you're quite right. And when you know people question why we spend all this time at each year at the UN General Assembly meeting with the foreign leaders and all, because we can sometimes score a message um, just the factual background, because they they're focused on so many different things that sometimes the significance of a particular move is, 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 is lost on them, and, and some of them don't consider votes on you and important, so they let the ambassador do what they want. Th- there's a lot that can be done, and, and if you're not there, and if you're not active, and it reminds us of the important role that Congress plays as a check on the president when a mm-hmm. president is, is not supportive or wants to do things that are, are deemed to be uh, harmful, uh, that you have a Congress to turn back to. Obviously, administrations are very important, and they have powers, uh, that are uh, singular in in many respects, and and uh, I know Prime Minister Rabin used to think that the White House was the important body, and much less so Congress. I think Netanyahu respects both of them, right. uh, and there were others who who, who really worked the Congress, and in Paris, others um, looked at it in in that both were significant, but that that's the role we play. And frankly, now with the being isolated as we are. Uh, I feel this vacuum, that, that we're not there on some of the things, and I anticipate that um, we could see renewed uh, initiatives if, let's say, the application of sovereignty moves ahead. The threats from the Europeans and others are are very strong, and there is a, a good possibility they'll go to the UN, which has already expressed itself in opposition, and without even knowing yet what, what they have in mind or mm-hmm. what they're going to do.
0: Uh, and without someone there, or without someone on the front lines, uh, you know, fighting the fight, so to speak, it could be a lot easier, as you point out, for them to get away with it.
1: And when Nikki Haley was there, or with right. others, uh, Croft is is good, but she, you know, when you have an ambassador that fights, uh, uh, I know with Dick Holbrook, a Democrat, and when Republicans alike, you know, and Bolton was there, they their their presence there made a big difference, and they communicate a message that whether the the United States is strongly opposed to something or just playing pro forma, you know, opposition but not really committed.
0: What's interesting is that on the, you know, who does covid benefit argument, there are probably some who are saying as Israel moves to toward this sovereignty move 10 days from now, there are probably some who will say, you know, this is the time to do it that, you know, just like on the American side they can get uh, they can get away with certain things at the UN and and in Washington with certain statements and policies, it may be the best time now for Israel to act. Do you think that, in fact, this would be the best time for Israel to do this?
1: It's questionable because of the, um, the circumstances. There's a good argument to be made that before elections, you know, the United States will be best to question is what happens with the rest of the world. And you saw that this week the Democrats in Congress, in the House, including very good friends and supporters of Israel, um, sent the letter to, or to, uh, adopted a resolution, which was um, very critical of any move on, on the uni- any unilateral move. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I think, are making references to annexation, but uh, the very fact that that happens in a political year means either they're reading what they believe to be the tea leaves and, and where community is, or... That uh, they feel the pressure and and did it as a preemptive move against a worse resolution, but you have a democratic convention coming up we don't know yet what the platform will be we We have um, uh, many people who have come out and and uh, made statements uh, bolero the you foreign ministers constantly making comments about uh, about what Israel's going to do. Oh, and I think Israel itself has not decided what to do. And it's going to be something done in conjunction with the United States. Right. Uh, and there are differences between Gantz and Netanyahu um, that I know the US ambassador was trying to, to intervene to, to straighten out, and they haven't. So. You know, it's, it's a premature statements, but it's meant to be preemptive, I
0: think. And I pointed out to you last week that, again, uh, you know, the way I look at things, uh, th- there are many threats from the from the other side about what you know what might happen if Israel would make a move like this. But, again, I I, I mentioned last week the embassy move, a lot of hot air. Uh, the Golan move, a lot of hot air. Shouldn't we suspect that all these threats and all these bold statements are, are basically going to fall on deaf ears and that if the Israel would uh... move in this direction in ten days uh... the enemies you know basically not going to react much the same as they didn't in the prior cases
1: again it depends on what is done and how it's done i think for instance using the word annexation is not wise application of sovereignty rule of law other things uh... are much more palatable to people Mm. you know in american eyes in western media but generally annexation has a different connotation so how you do it what you do is is very important um, and the, the truth is you can't let outside uh, consider you have to take into account, I think all of these factors and think about israel's long term concerns. you know, things that people don't think about. the EU has this 2020 horizons program, which yields hundreds of millions of dollars to Israeli research institutions because it's you know it's the joint research, et cetera with Europe. That would be a devastating blow. They say that the, all these things would be endangered. Whether they will actually carry it out or not is is not clear. But there is serious dangers that Israel has to take into account all the ramifications in the region outside. You saw what the King of Jordan has said, with the UAE. They modified it afterwards. All of them. The Jordanian official yesterday said. Oh,
0: the that, the Hebrew article that was that was uh, the Hebrew op-ed that was from the UAE,
1: right? Am I right? That, okay. the, that was from the ambassador. Of the, to the United States, who was a good friend of a good friend of mine, and uh, and that was changed. That was amended. No, that was no no. That was not amended. Uh, but the foreign minister spoke this week at a at a AJC um, online uh, conference, and he. Uh, said, you know, the relationship with Israel is on track, and et cetera, et cetera. It's sort of putting it in context, saying, but, but to them, this is an important consideration. The right. ambassador doesn't write that unless the government authorizes it, and he did tell the White House before he published it. Uh, but understand. the uh, the thing I was talking about was the that Jordan, a top official in Jordan, said that the um, you know we're not going to sacrifice our our security cooperation with Israel for the Palestinians because they're all tired of the Palestinian obfuscation. You know, the, the, there was a very interesting story that already got any coverage, but a, a, an important um, Palestinian official, member of Abbas's um, own party and an affiliate of his, uh, a close friend of his, too, and, and this guy, whose name was Jalad, as I recall, uh, or Jadala, Jadala, um, he was the head of, of the political department in the PA, and he now has written an exposé about the corruption and the fact that money coming from EU assistance in Arab states were transferred mostly to the presidency, meaning to Abbas's office, mm. and there to secret accounts with fictitious names, including those of Abbas's own grandchildren. And he's now seeking asylum in Belgium, and he has given them the documentation and all of this, what well, writing about it, but the Palestinians know that they're they're not getting anything from this the Palestinian government and the the um, the internal fights, the internal struggles that uh, many of the Arab states are more distancing themselves from it, and all of them have acknowledged to us that look, we're sick, the people are sick and tired of this, and it's a bottomless pit. We pour in billions of dollars, and nothing happens with it. So you know, again, it, it what uh, uh, Utayba wrote, the ambassador from the UAE wrote, was an important message and uh, published in Israeli papers because he was talking to the people of Israel. And, of course, it got picked up here because right. it's a significant story. So there, there are just so many considerations. You know, for the prime minister, you got the domestic politics. You have those who are for it who want more than what they're proposing. I think that they will, it will move towards a staged implementation, that they'll take one part first. Maybe the Jordan Valley, he won, something, uh, and then look at the the next stage uh, further on.
0: It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. around the world, the web, and MalcolmSegal.com, and the MalcolmSegal Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. I remind everybody, our 2020 spring fundraiser is in full swing. Uh, If you haven't yet contributed, please do, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, if you like our programming. So, Malcolm, you explained the smuggling, quote-unquote, of funds into Gaza. Even with COVID, is there still smuggling of weapons into Gaza?
1: There is, and there was an attempt that Israel thwarted by sea to bring in... uh, uh, weapons. They're constantly doing it, and the Israeli Navy and others detect it. And you know they satellites, use all sorts of, of ways. They've, they've tried to do it under the water too. You know, with um, to, to bring in um, uh, weapons. So the constant effort to, to smuggle and to um, bring in more and more weapons. We see also the movement of weapons into Lebanon with more sophisticated precision guidance systems for the 130,000 missiles that uh, ir- uh, Iran has given or provided to Hezbollah and in Syria, where they continue to try and bring in weapons. And, of course, Israel has successfully, um, in many cases, deterred those, uh, those deliveries. And I somehow thought, they did not reach their I destination.
0: Thought, I thought COVID was supposed to stop all these uh,
1: smuggling activities. Yeah, but they wear masks when they do it. So it's okay. <laughs> and
0: Israel, I see, is actually shutting down some cities again because of COVID. They're really handling this uh, in a very efficient manner, I must say.
1: And But they have to be, and it has to be serious, you know, because it's over 300 people dead, and right. the it spreads quickly again, as we know, and a lot of the theories are being questioned, you know, that once you've had it, you can't get it again. Now it appears that you can, and that the uh, antibodies diminish over time. I mean, this is still a mysterious illness, and people should not take for granted. And I hope that people here, I see more and more, do not wear masks, do not take the precautions. I know it's not comfortable necessarily, but it's really necessary, and it's not, it's not to protect you. It's to protect others from you, and regardless of whether you've, you've uh, had it before or not.
0: The scary part in our community, and a rabbi pointed this out to me yesterday, you know, it's one thing people aren't wearing masks, which the Jews have said is, is terrible, uh, but now people who are wearing masks are being mocked. And
1: that's you know like in our community, so I, I'd rather be mocked and safe. Yeah, exactly. And, and then not and anybody who does it, uh, it's it's ignorance and the and arrogance and and there is a high degree of arrogance about it. I mean, does somebody want to be a ask You want to be a murdered? You're ready yeah. to take that chance? What is the discomfort? So you have to put this little mask on when you go outside. In your house, you do what you want. But this is really you know. Uh, quite ridiculous as
0: we said during the height of this whole thing when our community was being affected almost like no other ignorance and arrogance a lethal combination Um, tell me about this french court ruling higher court in favor of uh, bds activities pardon me The French court ruling that ruled in favor of BDS activities, they were... This is
1: a very serious move because it will affect other European courts and it it will give um, a license to the BDS people to continue their um, nefarious activities. So hopefully it will be challenged and uh, that we will uh, be able to get uh, either legislative uh, remedy or some other kind of remedy, but it is um, not something we take lightly. This is, uh, you know, the BDS people here and in Europe are really loading up for what I think will be a major assault um, on the Jewish community and on, on our interests, but this is the European Court of, of Human Rights. And it ruled against the French conviction of BDS uh, activists, essentially, I guess, is um, a free speech issue, trying to, to um, uh, c- couch it in those terms. But the Fra- France's highest appeals court, about three years ago, I think, uh, ruled that the conviction of these 12 people who were part of the BDS movement on the basis of inciting racism and anti-Semitism and had to pay a fine uh now that has been overturned.
0: Uh I think the atmosphere is one of um, you know where where people where the BDSers are getting the sense, and it's quite obvious now in terms of what's happening here in the US, that um, uh, essentially uh you know political correctness has run amok and and they are making excuse me, they're making sure that BDSers the BDSers are making sure that BDS is a significant part of the political correctness. I think they're trying to take advantage of A major opportunity here, as uh, again uh, the world and courts are operating a certain way. They feel they could, you know, sneak the whole BDS issue into that entire big category.
1: We're seeing more states adopt uh, anti-BDS uh, legislation. Oklahoma recently, others. Um, also, by the way, the IRA definition. More, more places are, are adopting, and I hope we can get states and others to do that as well on anti-Semitism. Um, uh, but we see dangerous trends, even in, in place like Canada. Um, so the the um, they will take advantage of it, and I um, I fear very much that we will see, and we're already seeing the signs of intersectionality, meaning that they are uh, the BDS people are appropriating the demonstrations that are going on and right. and interposing the Palestinian uh, issue, and you see Palestine equals blacks, et cetera Signs already. And this is an indication of what I think will happen once the announcement is made, that they will try to, to do it. And especially when people get back to campus, we're going to see major uh, challenges.
0: You mentioned his name earlier, so let me ask, what do you think of the Bolton, uh, Bolton-Trump uh, feud that's going on right now? Uh,
1: I, honestly, as you know, I'm, I'm, I was close to him. I am close to a friend of his, and I, I have not talked to him about it. Uh, he sort of disappeared for the period since his since he left the White House. I'm baffled by it. Uh, I don't understand. I mean, it could be personal. It could be um, somebody who, who felt he was wronged um, to do it at this time before an election, et cetera. Obviously, it sells books, but it's, it is. Uh, It is surprising, uh, knowing him, but I guess we will find out much more once we have a chance to read the book. Right.
0: In other words, on a personal and or political level, you would have expected they would have gotten along, at least on a personal level, if not political as well.
1: And he wanted I mean, he tried for the job twice. Uh, Remember, he was turned down the first time, and then finally the second time, and many people weighed in to support his appointment. You know, he's a great friend of Israel. He was... um, and a great supporter on many of the principal issues when he was ambassador to the UN, right. and um, I, I don't. Again, obviously, I haven't read the book, and and we'll have to see what uh, what he has to say once he starts doing interviews about it. Um, is
0: there a continued? Uh, um, is there a continued um, sanction of the United States versus Syria? Maybe I should put it differently. Are the sanctions against Syria stronger now than they have been in the past?
1: Oh, much stronger. And now Congress passed the Caesar uh, resolution to which will uh, deter financial aid. Um, and it, it goes, and the new sanctions that the administration put in includes Assad and Mrs. Assad, uh, as well as others. As you know, the economic conditions in Syria have deteriorated to such an extensive e- extreme where the uh, at the beginning of the fighting, I think the... Uh, Currency was fifty to a dollar, and now it's over three thousand to the dollar. Mm-hmm. The and, and it continues to deteriorate. Obviously, the eighty percent of the people are unemployed. Uh, the the conditions that people have seen, you know, the refugees, the the dislocation of people, etc. And now the U.S. hit the elites in with these new economic and travel uh, sanctions, and they also target non-Syrians who do business with them and she and mrs assad was described as one of Syria's most notorious war profiteers and then the state department separately um, i mean treasury department separate from state imposed sanctions on 24 people and government agencies uh, corporations uh, who are supporting the constru- uh, the corrupt reconstruction efforts that assad initiated and they're called the Caesar Syrian protect civilian protection act this is uh, it's a pseudonym of a syrian policeman who gave over the photographs of thousands of victims of torture by the uh, syrian government obviously israel welcomed them because of what syria is engaged in uh, they are still fighting in, in numerous locations we know there's fighting in dara but we saw the demonstrations in sweda which is largely a Druze community and it spread to other places, but including Dara, where the revolution against Assad began. And this is uh, close to the border with Israel. It's in the triangle where Jordan, Israel, Syria meet. So obviously it's of concern. And you have their Turkish and Russians and others involved. There was agreements that, is now, now, that have now been uh, violated. So the fighting continues. In Idlib, we have three million <coughs> of the, quote, opposition still uh, cornered. Uh, and then in these other pockets of of, uh, of resistance. So the sanctions are very strong and very powerful. And I assume in
0: Lebanon it's the same situation that you described to us last week.
1: Lebanon continues to deteriorate, and the frictions between the various groups, and you see that uh, uh, Nasrallah comes out with uh, some very blastful statements threatening everybody, but the, the fact is that the situation there it continues to deteriorate, more resentment against uh, Hezbollah. Uh, they they have in place, they acknowledge 130,000 missiles, we, we believe uh, could even be higher, and the upgrading of them makes them, with these adding these precision um, guidance kits, makes them much more powerful, and they're placed largely inside people's homes and institutions. So if, if Israel will have to preempt or retaliate they're going to be a lot of civilians, because if you rent out your, your bedroom for a rocket or allow them to place it there, you're putting yourself in harm's way. Okay.
0: Very similar situation to in the Gaza side as well. And the uh, Iran arms embargo and the uh, sanctions against Iran as strong as ever?
1: More sanctions have just been brought on, on uh, the shipping. You know, the, the- Boats that went the the oil carriers that went to Venezuela and the banks that support them. We're seeing uh, other sanctions uh, being imposed. They are very impactful. They they really work. Um, we've we've seen a couple things this week regarding Iran. One that the I E A, International Atomic Energy Agency, and its uh, relatively new head, Grossi, has been much more open, rebuking uh, the I- I- Iran. The uh, even the Europeans have uh, joined and want a rebuke of the official rebuke of iran because they're not allowing inspections in sites now it's already four or five months that they refuse to allow the uh, inspectors to get to see we know that they're moving ahead on the nuclear program we know also that um, there are various other uh, actions being taken but the sanctions are really important and the um, there's intelligence that came out of Baden-Badenberg in germany from the intelligence there about the uh, smuggling of and attempts to buy um, the deadliest weapons systems that are uh, are possible uh, from Germany, and they were being illegally shipped. The conversion of the missiles. The and now this new thing where Iraq, Iranian-backed militias are launching martyr balloons into Israel with pictures of suleimani and Munia and uh, others as a warning to the Zionist entity that comes from the Al Nujaba movement. And uh, so, Iran is active on every front today. Obviously, the news eclipses so yeah. much of what uh, of what they're doing, and the arms embargo. Now, the Europeans want a very limited extension, whereas the United States wants at least, I think, five years. Um, and the United States believes uh, it should be, in fact, indefinite without a fixed date of any kind. Europeans, uh, obviously, as usual, are. Um, Constrained and um, think that they can do something because they want to get China and Russia on board to placate them, um, so to get them to at least abstain on a Security Council resolution. So this is still very much up in the air, but it would be a, a tragedy not to get this extended. It will enable them to purchase. It will enable them to provide more and more weapon systems to Hezbollah, Hamas, and others. Uh, And uh, despite their economic conditions, they make the people suffer so that they can continue to spread the terrorism.
0: Because regular people like me fear that just like the media completely ignores 90% of what we just discussed this morning, we're hoping Washington and Jerusalem are not ignoring it. It sounds like you're guaranteeing us that they're not.
1: 100% not. The administration has been very much on top of it. Brian Hook, others who are in charge of on Iran policy are... Uh, very much o- o- on top of this whole thing, and um, you know they they recognize it. By the way, on the good news side, you know that Israel is providing the United States with two sets of the Iron Dome. One will come uh, in, I think, in August, or s- and one will come later on to to test them to be incorporated into America's defense system. And four new F thirty five so are going to arrive in Israel. I think in in August, and then three more in November, which will make it about 27 of the 50 that they ordered. And these have been integrated into Israel's uh, defense system with a unique Israeli technology added to it. And these are very important because they can evade advanced missile systems. They operate undetected deep inside enemy territory. Uh, they have a massive array of sensors, and Israel, which Israel has enhanced and uh, they can intercept, you know, airborne threats like cruise missiles and other things as well.
0: Interesting, and that is good news. Um, Finally, Malcolm, and we started this whole conversation about staying ahead of the issues. We started this conversation about uh, being on the front lines, yourself, other leaders, and making sure to to stay ahead of things because you never know what may uh, either spiral out of control or what may change on, you know, on a dime, so to speak. And the... um, uh, the, the, the Even though it's a domestic issue, the situation going on right now in the United States, uh, especially regarding the police, we know one of the reasons that we've enjoyed what we've enjoyed in this country is because of government-sponsored security and how it's acted in a positive manner toward our community for a very, very long time. Those communities that have an opportunity to formally, I don't just mean you know kids waving in the street, to formally thank the police department and provide them with meals and to show them that in any way we're there to support them, I think it's vital, I think it's key to do that in this case. First of all, we pray that they actually respond when they are needed, because I don't know why if I was a police officer I would respond, frankly, at this point. Uh, But hopefully they'll respond when needed, and hopefully they will continue to have a positive impression about working with our communities around the country in every city.
1: So, obviously, I believe that uh, we have to show a car appreciation to all the frontline defense, and that ranges from uh, police and firemen to the doctors and everyone else, uh, the uh, Hatsalas, the people who really protect our lives, and then we too often take for granted. And uh, in the police, like in any group, you have people who do engage in excessive and, and uh, racist, even anti-Semitic behavior at times, and they have to be rooted out. But the, to undermine the whole system of defense and security is is not in anyone's interest. In fact, the minority communities are even more important because of the... Um, the crime ...statistics rate. demonstrate... Right. Pardon me? There's the crime rate there. The cause of the crime rate, I was going to say the yeah. statistics bear it out, and the, um, you know, for us, the law and order is really critical that we want one stable society, so we want fair societies. We don't want to see racism or bigotry and certainly anti-Semitism, and once one is permitted, we know that it spreads uh, and you create this permissive... Uh, Attitude. On the other hand, if if uh, there can't be double standards, there can't be uh, ignoring ignoring people who engage in criminal activities. uh, Freedom of speech should be protected, but not some of the other excesses. And and you know we we have we are largely an urban people, and therefore want to see our cities safe. We have it's critical. We don't want to see an outflow of people. Uh, which was already in evidence of, uh, I think, 400,000 people left New York last year, that this is not a healthy situation for us uh, long-term, and we want to see harmony. And, and, you know, there isn't uh, the the common sense uh, of trying to make uh, for fairness and and, uh, equality and sensitivity, but at the same time there has to be, uh, Well, and we have public officials who seem to be, confused at best and uh, um, doing making decisions that it's very hard to rationalize that the people should raise their voices in responsible and effective ways but it also means complying with uh, the orders and means uh, people especially about mass public um, unnecessary public gatherings and and following the rules in stores etc for our own health and our own security and police shouldn't have to be and diverted to it or to to you know chasing people out of schoolyards or parks um, they really have to be uh, there has to be some recognition and appreciation and i know that many communities people have gone and brought food and brought other uh, and made other gestures to the police to let them know that we we do appreciate it and we do support and i saw uh, in hospitals uh, it was bH itself and stuff other people it is very important. People have been under tremendous stress now for four months, and the people have been. There's a very dangerous cocktail with economic dislocation, with unemployment, with uh, um, with the uh, the social disruptions are inevitable. This is the perfect combination, and for anti-Semitism. So the extreme right now, you see manifestations of white supremacist groups. We see the the um, Antifa groups. You see others, many of whom launch into or uh, link into anti-Semitic um, aspects and diatribe So it is, a, it is a very sensitive uh, time. Families are also under great pressure, having been locked up for so long or being under financial pressure, and then the kids can't go into camp. And I think there should be more of an effort to make a resolution uh, to, to resolve it, to find ways that kids can go to camp. You can't lock them up for such long periods. And for to have summer programs, because if people are just wandering the streets and nothing to do it's it's a formula for uh, to see increased disruption
0: and by the time we speak next there are a lot of primaries coming up you're not going to give any endorsements but you will you will help us remind this audience that what they should consider carefully those who've been there for our community
1: and they should remember that every vote counts that you never know that your vote could be make the difference, because there aren't usually big turnouts, and especially this year because of the remote voting, the virtual voting, um, mail-in ballots. There are so many ways that you can do it. I think you only have a few more days left to Tuesday, I think, uh, to to cast a ballot. Look at the races. The New York is being watched this year because of some of them uh, in a really special way. But we see people who, whose views are are contrary to the interests of uh, as we see them both domestically and in on international affairs. So make your voice count. Get out there and vote.
0: Malcolm, I thank you. Have a uh, we'll speak again. I think it's July the third. of a wonderful Shabbos and
1: Mosh uh, to everyone. To and the upbeat, we got we have a great future ahead. We got to be involved. We got to get people to understand what the challenges are. Make their voices heard. And to be confident.
0: Well said, and I thank you. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Again, I remind you, I'm not here next week because of the elbow surgery. Nothing to do with COVID, thank God. Uh, but I will return uh, the following week, and obviously Malcolm and I will be together, please God, on July the 3rd, two weeks from today.